Happy New Year. It's show 121 of the Rim Pro Report. Today, Joe Malerba and the latest industry news. Uh, the show is sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. One of the cool things about them is the worldwide support and sales coverage they have. This includes the Americas, Europe, the Middle East, Africa, as well as throughout the entire Asia-Pacific region. Point is, when you need them, they're there. Isn't that ultimately the measure of a great software company? You can get the support you need and the contact you need when you need it. With O'Neill, you can do that, and you can be sure that it'll happen. So to learn more about them, you can visit them at O'Neillsoft.com. It's a new year, and for us, that means a brand new song. So I think we should just hit it. Welcome to the RIM Pro Report. The one and only weekly broadcast for the RIM support services industry. Hustling with news, views, and the latest updates. This show is full of interesting information. So take notes. Now here's your host, Tom Adams. Yep, it's me, and I want to wish you a happy new year. How'd you like that new shorter version of the intro music? Special thanks to my intern, Court, for doing such a great job creating the new shortened version of our intro. I'm incredibly excited about this year and all the it will bring. I've got big plans for this show and I hope you'll be able to join us on an ongoing and regular basis. If you are listening and you haven't subscribed to the show email to get a heads up every Thursday on who's going to be on the show, head over to rimproreport.com and fill in the subscription box on the right hand side of the page. If you're on an Apple device, be sure to subscribe to the podcast from your podcast app, which is something you can download right from your iTunes store. It's pretty simple to do, and the shows automatically download on your iDevice. If you run Android, look for a number of podcast apps to also do the same kind of thing. Hey, I'm excited today to chat with Joe Malerba. Joe is the VP of Sales at Russ Bassett Corporation. He was also just elected to the board of directors as the vendor liaison for Prism International. He'll be with us shortly, but let's first get caught up on the latest industry news. I am not sure how I missed this one, but late in December, Peggy Coakley, CEO of Data Store in Milwaukee, announced the sale of that business, a wholly owned subsidiary of Coakley Brothers Company, to Iron Mountain. So looks like Iron really closed out the year with a significant bang uh, with that purchase as well as uh, the set that happened just early in December with IG2 and some of the other data protection companies. So congratulations to Peggy Coakley on the sale of the business and to Iron Mountain on this, their latest acquisition. Craig Bush and the team at Bush Systems were honored as the 2012 Manufacturing Business of the Year up there in Barrie, Ontario, Canada. This award came from the Greater Barrie Chamber of Commerce. Craig's fingerprints are all over the industry, so a huge congratulations are in order to both him and the team at Bush Systems. Nade has a couple of upcoming CSDS exams this month. Looks like one in Toronto on the 11th of January and then one in Dallas on the 18th. If you are preparing for that exam in the next few weeks, clear thinking in your study and preparations. I hope you have. And then speaking of Nade, the preparations for the upcoming conference in Nashville keep gearing up. Registration and hotel booking is open with hotel discounts in place till the 1st of February. I just looked through the online brochure and the program looks fabulous. Joe Calloway is doing a keynote on being a category of one. That's going to be great. Sessions on residential marketing as well as a session on getting drivers to become potent forces 
uh, as, as a way to generate more sales for you look great as well. So be sure to get yourself registered for the conference. Well, that's it for now. Let me get Joe Malerba on the line. Hang tight while I do. Malerva is Senior Vice President of Sales for the Russ Bassett Corporation. Joe is also the now official current vendor liaison on the PRISM International Board of Directors. Joe, are you on the line? I am, Tom. How are you? Hey, great. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's uh, it's great to have you on our first show of the new year. Well, happy New Year to you too, Tom. Well, thank you. Uh, Joe, let's start with Russ Bassett. Who is Russ Bassett? Is he a real person or is he a figment of our imaginations? <laughs> well, he was a real person. Uh, Mr. Russ Bassett started the company. Yeah. I was founded in uh, 1960. And a quick um, story is when Russ went to start his company in 1960, uh, he, he wanted to start this cabin manufacturing company. And he went down to the county clerk to... Um, Built the paperwork to start a new company. Yeah. And lo and behold, the um, clerk asked him, what's the name of your company? And apparently, Russ didn't think too much about naming his company <laughs> and didn't have an answer for the clerk. And the clerk said, well, what's your name, sir? He said, well, my name is Russ Bassett. So well, how about that name for the company? He goes, okay, that works for me. Uh, hence, the name of the company became Russ Bassett Company. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's funny. Interesting. Yeah. yeah so Russ uh, ran the company for a number of years. And then uh, his son, Ed Bassett, took over the company for some time after that. And now the company continues to be uh, privately owned, but not affiliated with any of the uh, Russ Bassett members. And Russ did pass away, I want to say, uh, 1999 or 2000. I did have the privilege of meeting Russ a couple of times. and He's a very, uh, very uh, wonderful man with great vision. And, again, he built this beautiful legacy company, um, taking some chances in the 60s. Oh, that's that's very cool. All right. Well, more importantly, if anyone doesn't know who you are, because I I suspect that pretty much anyone listening to this call will have a, a good sense of who you are. But g- give me a sense of what Russ Bassett Company is all about. What are some of the products and services you offer? So if anybody doesn't who listens, they'll, they'll have a more thorough understanding of what it is you guys do. Sure. Well, um, we started building microphone cabinets in 1960. And then uh, at that time, microphone cabinets were our primary focus and um, product sales, and uh, microphone cabinets were in high demand then. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I started the company in 1994, uh, my background was media storage. So I brought that background to the company uh, in 1994, and we subsequently uh, diversified from not just microphone cabinets, but to audio-video cabinets and data media cabinets. We expanded our offering diversified to other industries. And today, uh, the company has three business segments. One is we have a console or workstation uh, division that sells, uh, manufactures and sells uh, consoles to mission-critical applications, uh, such as 911 dispatch for police offices and police stations, and also uh, military applications, all mission-critical applications. Uh, the second segment of our business is we offer media storage products to commercial end users, uh, banks, insurance companies, healthcare, government, uh, through our authorized network of dealers. That's been in place for a number of years since we started the company. Yeah. Uh, so we have a lot of resellers that sell our products. And the third portion of our business is we sell direct uh, to the off-site market 
for companies that offer data protection services, uh, such as PRISM members, uh, and we sell our products globally. And we got into PRISM, ironically, we bought a company called Core Technologies uh, about 12 years ago, and Core Technologies was selling to the PRISM community, and we purchased Core Technologies. That's how we got exposed to PRISM. Of course, we joined PRISM at that time and began uh, selling out products to members uh, at that time. So before Core Technologies, despite having this uh, this type of product, you weren't actually active in, say, the Prism uh, marketplace, or it was be what was it before? Because there was ACRC, and then there was the other side, which was more the media side or the data protection side. Um, you weren't active in that business up until you bought Core. No, we pretty much sold direct to uh, through our dealers to oh. commercial and users, and we didn't even know about the PRISM uh, membership until I started uh, working, I started courting a company called Arcus just before we uh, bought Core Technologies, and of course Arcus was purchased by Iron Mountain some time right. ago. Right. So then a fringe of getting involved in the industry just as I was getting involved in one of the uh, PRISM members, unbeknownst to us. Oh, that's very interesting. So tell me about how you got into this business, uh, into Russ Bassett, because you said you were already in the media side of the business. So give us a little bit of your own history that preceded your involvement in Russ Bassett. Well, if you don't mind me boring you a little bit, I will uh, proceed. <laughs> Not at all. That's that's why I asked the question, because I'm always intrigued for, by, you know, and you and I have known each other over the years, but I, I don't know this part of your story. Okay, well, say my secret. Um, I started at a company called Zydex in 1980. Yeah. And Zydex manufactured diazo and vesicular duplicating microfilm. Like the sound of that? That sounds um, kind of medical. <laughs> it does, but it's not at all. <laughs> but these uh, duplicating films were used to recreate or duplicate from silver highlight film, which is very expensive. So I started with Zydex uh, in 80, and then a company called Anacomp, purchased Zydex in 1989, so I was acquired by Anacop, where I became a district manager for their New York and New Jersey offices. And Anacop was a company that converted round reel tape uh, into microfiche and microfilm. Hmm. Uh, this service was basically called, at that time, COM, or Computer Output Microfilm. Right. And then Anacop purchased uh, two companies, um, Dyson and Graham Magnetics. This is where we became a tape manufacturing company, and I got my exposure ah. into the world of data tape. Okay. And these companies, uh, again, made tape. So now as I was in the business, basically. A lot of my uh, salespeople, I had about 13 salespeople working for me at the time, we all sold tape to commercial end users. And um, at that time, uh, the, uh, the tape was sold to, again, end users, and uh, we were able to, uh, you know, sell lots of tape at the time at Anacomp at high price. And then I left Anacomp in 1994 uh, to come to work for Russ Bassett as a regional sales manager. So I started in 1994 as a regional sales manager selling our products in the New England area, New York City area. Yeah. Then a few months later, for some reason, uh, the company promoted me to VP of sales where I am today. Wow. Wow. So early on in that, uh, when you first started with uh, Russ Bassett, uh, you were obviously selling more to the uh, the reseller network. But in that environment, 20, 25 years ago, what was media storage like? 
uh, in in the you know the banks and the commercial operations and the Fortune 500s. What what did it look like back then? Well, when I came to West Bassett, we were selling predominantly microfilm cabinets. Oh, okay. And again, my back my background, I came along with data uh, media. We started diversifying to data media and getting more involved in data center uh, sales. And at that time, 3480 and 3490 tape really dominated the industry, which uh, had replaced a round reel tape. A lot of folks think the round reel tape is computer tape, which it was years ago. And the round reel was converted to square tape, we called it, or 3480, 3490 tape. And then at that time, we were selling lots of um, media, again, uh, high volume, low margins, uh, was very common. A lot of our sales were probably, back to Anacomp, we sold probably 10, 15, 20,000 tapes at a pop to a customer. Back then, a lot of companies sold magnetic tape. Uh, today, fewer companies sell magnetic tape, magnetic tape yeah. since the margins are even lower and there's less demand for it. Right. Okay. So the backup media, backup tape environment has been a significant part of your life for the last 25 years and more. So as you have been a part of the industry, both, uh, you know, selling through dealers to end users, but then also your involvement in the industry and the associations, uh, what have been some of the ebbs and flows you've seen in the industry over the years? How, how have you seen things sort of grow and then decrease? And what are some of the big moments or maybe big memories of the industry for you as, as it relates to the data protection side of it, the tape and media side? Well, magnetic, magnetic media uh, or tape has always been an important element in data processing. And I remember years ago when I first got into the business, how 3480 was a big new tape technology-wise, yeah. when I first heard, probably a couple of years ago, that 3480 was being obsoleted, that was sort of a mindset that I was involved in 3480 was introduced. Now I'm hearing about it, uh, basically <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> obsolescence. That kind of hit me hard. Yeah. Uh, but in the old days, you know, round reel tape was a commonly used uh, tape in data centers. Then round reel tape was replaced by half-inch tape, primarily 3480 tape. And then the half-inch tape, which is primarily 3480, 3490, was replaced by LTO tape, which is a digital linear tape. That was a big, new, hot technology tape at the time. Hmm. And then the DLT tape was replaced by LTO tape, or linear tape open. Uh, the net results of the industry, or the evolution, has been a much higher density tape, uh, with fewer units being sold in the industry. So when round reel tape was being produced years ago, there were probably thousands and thousands of units being produced. Uh, now that information can be uh, stored on a fraction of the uh, tape space using the LTL space because of the consolidation and the high um, you know, density of each tape. Yeah. But that, but that even appears to be in increasing because I know at the Data Protection Conference, uh, the uh, I think it was the guy from IBM was talking about the the significant new technology that's coming around tape that's going to make it even more uh, the, the even higher capacity. Yes, and I I, I wonder about um, the benefits of having too much tape, too much information on one tape. You get it down to handling issues. If the tape is more sensitive, it's dropped or nicked or taped, you may need somebody to be certified to actually handle the tape. So there is a level of, I think, a line 
that how much information you put on one tape. Um, obviously, tapes can be damaged. It could be fragile. It could be lost. You know, things can happen to tapes. Um, even the readability of a tape, uh, I'm not quite sure where it's going to end. Um, but one thing is, you've heard the same thing I've heard, Tom, is that as much as the tape's becoming more dense, there's an abundance of data being produced and information flow every yeah. single day yeah. to outweigh the capacity of tape. Yeah, when the, and that's that's the part that's so significant. I think the uh, I I don't remember the stat, but you know the amount of uh, data produced in a, any given day in in the corporate world uh, or you know anyone producing on computers in in any day is equal to the the complete amount of data produced in years. Um, you know, 100 years ago. So, I mean, it's significant amount of stuff that's being created. So, you know, the, the evolution of tape, as much as it's got smaller and, and more dense, as, as you said, uh, it, the, the necessity of it continues to grow, it seems to me. Well, yeah, absolutely. One factor I heard at one of those conferences that it, it uh, amazed me is that 80% of all the data being generated is from social environment and 20% from business. Wow. That surprised me. Yeah, that's intense. So I look over the last decade, and it seems to me that there was some signals, and you know, just from our place in the industry, uh, it seemed like the signals that I saw were that because of the cloud and because of whatever you define cloud to be, but because of the cloud, the, the whole data side, the media tape side was in decline. And yet recently... I've sensed a resurgence. I've sensed that uh, there there is a renewed interest in tape. Tell me about it from your perspective. What are you seeing? What are you sensing? Well, it's funny you mentioned the cloud. The cloud means a lot of things. Yeah. But the um, the um, the consensus is that cloud is high technology, servers, spinning disk, and not tape. Tape is certainly part of the cloud. And there were some very exciting revelations going on that I've discovered over the past year or so just by attending some conferences that you have as well. For example, I've attended the Bare Metal Conference, uh, the Prison Data Protection Workshop, the Data Protection Association uh, meeting. And the big news really is all the excitement is surrounding itself around the LTFS, or the Linear Tape File System. That's a big development uh, for LTO5 and LTO6 tape. Mm -hmm. uh, what's happening there is now the LTFS provides a data file on each LTO tape, offering faster retrieval of the information on the tape now, because before, well, tape is still linear. There's no filing system on the tape. So uh, tape is more, was a slower process to retrieve than, you know, a disk or a hard drive. Right. So as a result of LTFS, there's a new tape-based solutions emerging to compete with hard drive because, you know, tape has always been inexpensive right. and very reliable, but not very fast. But now it's, it's also fast and inexpensive and reliable. So this is creating a lot of buzz in the industry. You're going to see a lot of new uh, uses or applications for tape, LCO in particular, so I think at the end result, you'll see a whole lot more taping used, manufactured, and sold, and stored as a result of this technology change. Huh. That, to me, is exciting for our industry because all of a sudden, as that resurgence of tape starts showing up, 
then people need vaults again. So the the fear of everything's going digital, which it is, because ultimately at the end of the day, the tapes we store in the vaults, uh, in your, in many cases, your cases, your Russ Bassett cases, are actually digital in nature. But the the fact is, they're they're physical format. Um, but to me, it seems like instead of um, thinking now that vaults need to sort of wind down and store wine in them, that that they're actually a viable, uh, they're a viable service offering in the years ahead. Does that seem to resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. That's why I think the misconception is that tape's going away, and um, I think I, as I talked to a lot of um, vault owners in the conferences. They need to think about future, not downsizing, but thinking about uh, the future. The next 12 months or so, you may see a resurgence of tape. You may have more tape coming in from your customers, so you have to allow for that. So I think attending these conferences is a good thing for these members to go to participate in here. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. The tape is going away or it's not, and I think the consensus is not. And the more you hear about consistent messages from various uh, consultants and um, associations, yeah. I think you're going to see a lot of uh, positive conversation that will, uh, I think, end up being the conversation with the end users to make the decisions, and ultimately it will uh, increase and benefit the industry with more tape coming our way. Uh, different than just more data being generated, but how tape is being used. Right, right, which is, is very exciting. Uh, it, it, and it seems to me that within that context, that sense that there is a future in tape, uh, I, I have noticed, and every week on this show, I mention acquisitions, and I continue to do, I did that all last year, and I expect this year I'll, I'll continue to do it, but uh, acquisitions occurred last year that seemed to be very focused around uh, data vaults, uh, data protection companies that was more their core focus than just a boxes on shelves environment, uh, record storage environment. So it seems to me that the people who are investing and buying companies now are spending money on vaults. Yes, uh, they are. Um, part of the acquisition model that's going on right now, part of the attraction is the data vaults because the data vaults produce high revenue. Yeah. I mean, a box on the shelf, I'm just guessing, you know, it's a certain, a few pennies, you know, 25 cents, whatever, uh, possibly per um, per box, per unit, per month. A tape can be anywhere from the national average around 25 cents up. And one tape is a lot smaller than one cubic box. Yes. So you can imagine the benefit and the, and the revenue you can generate uh, from data tapes. It's a very profitable business. Oh, yeah. so I think as companies become acquired, or companies starting up who want to become acquired are, like you say, investing in the data protection business. And if you're if you're in the business of uh, providing uh, records management services and shredding services, you want to consider the fact that you've got that vault business. Uh, you want to you know invest in that and grow that business uh, for two reasons: you're making money each month being the business, and number two, it's very attractive as a selling point to be uh, acquired. Yeah. So you get a chance to meet a whole lot of people in the vault business because you, you take an active role in the industry. Uh, you see and meet and talk to a lot of people. And, I mean, I, I think because of that, you have a unique perspective. But within that, I suspect that having been in as long as you have, you notice that people in the vault business occasionally make mistakes. Not 
all the time, but there's mistakes they're making as it relates to sort of the bigger picture. Are, what, from your perspective, are some mistakes that people in the, the data protection, media vaulting, backup tape vaulting industry, what, what are some of the mistakes you sense they might be making? Well, I'll tell you, Tom, being a salesperson, I think it's a simple um, evaluation of companies just aren't focusing on selling data protection services. Hmm. I mean, I, I visited many companies, and the folks who have one or two salespeople in a large market, maybe the ones who are struggling in that, really investing in that business and not realizing the benefits of it, I think folks who uh, do focus on data protection business do well with it. I think a lot of folks focus on records management business services, shredding services, and imaging services, and they need to ramp up the number of sales staff, personally, I think, are selling DP services, and need to motivate their sales staff through compensation incentives. I mean, comp plans drive the business, and there are folks out there doing a great business and some that are struggling. I think the biggest misconception is that tape is going away and people are, are restricting their resources for data protection hmm. sales. I think if we educate the end user about the benefits of tape, there'll be a, you'll see a whole upside, if you will. I mean, tape is very reliable, like I said earlier. Yeah. It's very inexpensive. Yeah. It's fast to retrieve the LTFS. So the bottom line is, you know, off-site vaults who focus on data protection services will do well. Those who don't focus on selling DP services won't do well. This is only my opinion, but to me it's a simple analysis. If I'm running around a country, which as I do, I see some folks ramping up, buying larger vaults, uh, expanding with, you know, fire-protected, fire-rated vaults, buying rack and expanding, and others struggling. To me, it's basically, um, it's focus. Hmm. So it's it's focused on really getting the message out into the marketplace of of data protection as as the uh, you know the real clue to ensure business continuity in the event of disaster. But my sense is you're saying that it often falls to the background, and the, so the mistake they're making is is it's not a, a high enough priority, and thus they're not getting the revenue. Right. I think some uh, offsite companies are very comfortable in selling box storage. And shredding, that's the comfortable selling, and it's just data protection is a different sale. You sell to IT folks, so buy some folks, no IT, get in there, and you'll do well. But people are afraid to have these, you know, make these sales calls because it's a different sale. They'll shy away from it, and of course, won't invest in it, hence their sales are down. But people who do very well at it have learned how to sell to the IT folks in large companies. I guess my only point is there's plenty of tape out there to be stored and brought into these vaults. Uh, so if you're a prison member going to these uh, conferences, you've got to ask yourself, why are so many companies doing so well and others not? Now, it encourages folks who aren't doing so well to talk to the folks who are doing well in other markets to learn about where they're investing and how they ramp their business up. Yeah. So you just mentioned Prism, and I and I think it's an appropriate transition to actually say congratulations because you're officially now in 2013 the board member, actually the uh, the vendor liaison board member for Prism International. So congratulations on that. That's a very cool, uh, very cool thing to be to be doing. Thank you, Tom. Yeah. So what what's your goal in terms of the the role you're going to play in the next couple of years on the board? How, how do you feel like you're going to contribute? And maybe do you have a particular perspective you're bringing that 
uh, will enhance the industry at least uh, and, and bring your unique spin to it. Give, give me a sense of what your vision is for it. Well, first of all, I want to thank all the corporate partners for voting me, uh, voting me into the office this year. I really appreciate that. But I hope to bring some focus, additional focus, to data protection services, uh, to the PRISM board and the PRISM membership. I think it's sort of a stepchild to the industry. Uh, and I think uh, PRISM is primarily a paper records information management association, and I think we need to become a better association by offering a balanced education on all related services, including data protection services. I mean, I think it's sort of um, we have a data protection workshop uh, because we're trying to fit that scope into the association. I think we need a bigger presence at our national conferences in Europe, Asia, and domestic, uh, equal to the record storage and shredding attention we give. I also have an obligation, of course, uh, as the corporate partner's director, to communicate PRISM's members' ideas, their vendor ideas, suggestions, and overall feedback to the board. I've been belong to other associations in the past where the vendors meet the members once a year. It's 11 months you don't hear anybody or see anybody again hmm. until the next uh, conference comes along. Uh, the PRISM has a great association where it's unique, and we now we have a representative on the board for the yeah. corporate partners. Yeah. We have an ongoing communication from the vendors to the board and the members. That's a wonderful thing, I think. Yeah. Well, it's a, a great opportunity, I think, for you to, to bring your unique perspective. And so um, congratulations again on, on your role there and what you're going to contribute in the in the, the upcoming term that you have. So good luck with that and, and continued success. So I always like to ask kind of this question, but if, if you could go back 25 years ago when you started with Russ Bassett, knowing all you know today, what might you do differently? Well... This may sound a little small, but I think we did a lot of the right things. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of our competitors 25 years ago are no longer in business uh, because they did not diversify. Hmm. I think we diversified from microfilm to audio video to data media, a racking storage, yeah. paper storage. We diversified the console storage. So we've diversified within the industry to offer a, a turnkey solution. Well, I think other companies had not done that, and they're, again, out of business or suffering. But I guess um, I probably would have, had I known about the prison or the off-site business earlier, I probably would have gotten involved a little bit earlier with my tenure and had more of an impact. I think uh, we're just happy to be involved in the industry, uh, the prison industry, off-site industry, for the past 15 years or so. So I don't look back too much um, with any change that comes to mind, I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, and, and me coming to West Bassett was a change in their own regard because, you know, it's good to have somebody from the outside come into your company with different different perspective. And I brought the data protection, you know, experience to right. West Bassett. We had somebody else come to the company bring a console perspective. So I think bringing people in with different perspective and talents can, can uh, mold a company to the future rather than see where the, the industry takes you. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure, Joe, to talk to you. I know that um, you know you have contributed significantly to the industry over the years. You have, uh, you are continuing to contribute, as you just talked about in your new role in Prism, 
And uh, I, I want to say thanks for sharing your unique perspective and your story as we kick off this new year. So uh, happy new year again to you. I hope uh, 2013 is going to be a, a great one for you as as the industry continues to evolve. But I know that you continue to evolve with it. And thanks again for being a part of the show today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Tom. And thank you for inviting me on your show. Hey, it was great to catch up with Joe, a great guy and a huge contributor to the industry over the last number of years and obviously uh, becoming even more involved uh, than he has been to date with the the role on the PRISM board that he's now taking. So uh, I really want to want to thank Joe for the time he spent with us. And I want to thank you too for joining us on our first show of 2013. Lots of cool stuff in store in the weeks and months ahead for you, so keep coming back. And special thanks to our good friends at O'Neill Software for their exclusive sponsorship of the show. I think as we move into 2013, it means they've been doing this software thing in the rim industry for more than 31 years now. And the legacy of leadership shows not only a stable presence in the industry, but they are leading the way with new tools and new software evolutions to support the industry future. And if you'd like to learn more, you can check them out yourself at O'NeillSoft.com. That's it for now. Have yourself a great week. We'll talk to you next week on the show. We are out of here. Thanks for joining us on the Rim Pro Report with Tom Adams. If you enjoyed the show, please tell others. Our website is www.rimproreport.com. This broadcast is produced and hosted by Flourish Press Inc. Join us again soon.